Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller. I'm the host of The Hannah Miller Show, and I'm actually here today collaborating with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson, and he has his own show, uh, More Than Medicine. And last week, we did an interview with my associate pastor, Aaron Mishler, and he had written an article that we wanted to interview him about, and it was, How Should Christians Respond to Pride Month? And so if you missed that interview, make sure you go back in the podcast store and you find either More Than Medicine or you find The Hannah Miller Show to listen to that interview because Aaron did a fantastic job uh, talking about that and really laying out the best way for us as believers to respond in the month of June to those who identify as gay or homosexual of some sort, transgender, as, as somebody who's in the LGBTQAI+, there's a lots of letters now, I'm not sure where they're going, uh, how many they have now. But this week we're doing a follow-up, Dad and I are, about can you be gay and Christian? And Dad had read a book in the last year, yeah, just in the last year. Yeah, in the last year and uh, by Dr. Michael Brown. And so we're going to bounce off of that a little bit. We're going to have some conversation. So we're going to address that question. Can you be gay and Christian? All right. First of all, I want to start with a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that has motivated me and encouraged me for a long time. And the quote may not be exact, but you'll get the idea. And he says that no matter how courageous you may be on the battlefield, If you shrink back at the point of hottest conflict, then you're guilty of cowardice on the entire battlefield. And I want our listeners to understand that in our culture in America today, the two points of hottest conflict is the abortion issue and the homosexuality issue. And if Christians shrink back from those two issues, then we are guilty of cowardice on the entire battlefield. And so what I would like for us to do today is equip you, our listener, to answer several questions that we will address today. And I do want to reference um, Michael Brown's book entitled, Can You Be Gay and Christian? It's an excellent treatise that answers many of the questions that Christians just don't really know how to grapple with. Um, It's a theological book. And he deep dives into uh, a lot of the scripture, a lot of the questions that uh, the homosexual community throws at Christian people. And I think that um, if you're a serious Christian and you're serious about ministering to your homosexual friends, you will be delighted to read his book. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, too, that for at least the last decade— that I've been engaged in politics and cultural issues, it seems that we feel like 
those who identify as homosexual or as a part of the LGBTQ, that they're such a minority that we don't really have to kind of bone up, as you would Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. We don't have to really sharpen our skills in understanding uh, that community and understanding what the Bible says about it. But here in the last 10 years, that has drastically changed. And there's a multitude of reasons for that. I think that we've touched on it a little bit before. Some of it is social contagion. Uh, Some of it is just it's very popular now for kids, and that's really kind of the social contagion thing. So you're seeing a growing number of young people, especially teenagers, who are identifying as this. But even myself as a millennial who, you know, I'm 32, and I have right off of the cuff, I could give you a dozen names of friends who were raised in the church, raised in Bible-believing homes, all of them I think I'm trying. I'm running through the list in my mind. Every single one of them would identify themselves as also a believer. You know, mm-hmm. they they would mm-hmm. say, "I'm a Christian. I'm just I'm a gay Christian." And so, you know, so I've got I've got a dozen of those. And uh, you know, I don't think of myself as being somebody who's got, uh, you know. I'm not my sister Rebecca. Rebecca, you know, everybody, everybody meets Rebecca, and they're, I just love Rebecca. She has so many friends everywhere all around the world. You know what yep, I mean? Yep, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, I, I'm a friendly, outgoing person, but, um, I, you know, it's just, I think of my little world that I live in as a mom with three kids, and, and I have 12 friends mm-hmm. that are within my circle of influence mm-hmm. that they may not, you know, be in my neighborhood or people that I hang out with every day or even every week or even every month, but they're people that I have known that I've been involved in with ministry a lot of times. These are people that I did ministry with at some in some different season of my life. And we had a lot of bonds built over doing ministry together who now would tell me, you know, God loves me just the way I am. I have multiple of those friends who actually went to seminary and then came out of seminary. And, you know, they've now in a same-sex marriage, um, a multiple of those. And so a lot of that as well. And it's just... So if I'm having that, and I know that people are sitting around looking at, you know, if they've got kids in the public school system or even private school system, their kids have friends who are who are identifying as trans. Um, And you as a parent, whether that's your child or not, are going to have to grapple because you're going to have to explain to your kids. You're going to have to talk to your kids about it. So whether you have a child or not, or you have a friend or not that is identifying as this, you have to be able to discuss with your children, your grandchildren, and really just your circle of influence. You, you're going to have to know where you stand. Where does the Bible stand? Where you stand should be where the Bible is. And so that's why we wanted to bring this up, because it's going to become more and more prevalent in the last 10 years. I personally have, you know, it's, it's just really become everywhere. That's where I have felt, you know, I, nobody really talked about this when I was growing up. I When I was in high school, my last junior, senior year of high school, I started having one or two friends who would say something like they were bisexual. That was kind of the thing. That was the social contagion at that point. But in the last 10 years, it's just really taken off. Well, and there was a book written by a gentleman named Kienemann, and the title of the book was Unchristian. And in one of their surveys, they found that number one way the secular community identifies the Christian community, the church, is bigoted Mm -hmm. and filled with hate, especially towards the gay community. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I just don't know Christian people in my circle of influence who hate homosexuals. Mm -hmm. I think that is a perception created by the media. 
Now, I have lots of patients, honestly, who are homosexual, and I don't hate them. I take care of them just like I take care of everybody else, and I treat them with respect. I treat them with compassion, and I think they respect me as well because I take good care of them. Now, do I condone their lifestyle? No, I don't. Do I share the gospel with them? Yes, I do, if they're willing to receive it. But I don't beat them over the head with the gospel if they're not interested, no no more than I do anybody else who's not interested. But at the same time, I just don't know Christian people who hate homosexuals or disrespect them. Are there people out there who do? Of course there are. You see it on the Internet all the time. Now, are the people who are hate-filled on the Internet genuine Christian people? I suspect they're probably not. And so, but we all get lumped into that same category. And part of this whole discussion today is for us as genuine God-fear and spirit-controlled people to learn how to connect with our neighbors, our people at work, our co-workers who identify as homosexual, and to learn how to share the gospel with them and how to love them in the name of Jesus Christ. So what do Christians do who experience same-sex attraction? Well, first of all, let me share a scripture in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, which I think is a, is a powerful verse for all of us who experience any kind of inordinate desire. The scripture says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now that's an important verse for all of us to understand because everybody has to deal with the flesh. Every Christian has to deal with the flesh. And the Bible tells us that if we don't put to death those inordinate desires of the flesh, then we're going to die. But if by the Spirit we put to death those inordinate desires of the flesh, then we will live. We will prosper spiritually. So the answer to that question, what do Christians do who experience same-sex attractions? Well, they do the same thing that Christians do who experience any other inordinate desire. I have patients who deal with serial adultery. I have patients who deal with addiction to pornography. I have patients who deal with addiction to alcohol and drugs. They have to deal with an inordinate, uncontrolled, lifelong desire that's destructive to their spiritual life. By the Spirit, they have to put that to death. My homosexual patients who who claim to be Christians must put to death that inordinate same-sex attraction on a daily basis the same as my other patients do who have inordinate desires. And it's no different from them. And they can't claim to be any different. It's a a dangerous, lower nature desire that has to be taken to the cross every day, put to death, so that they can be made alive in Christ. And the members of their body can be instruments of righteousness as the next few verses in that same chapter in Romans says. And so their issue may be different, but the Spirit of God is able to put to death in them 
those uncontrolled desires the same as he does in every other Christian. On the flip side of that, I'm reminded of, I, I know you, you know, Jimmy McPhee, we did an interview with him. Jimmy was in jail. He was in prison for murder and he did 40 uh, something years. Yeah, I can't remember. Right. He got saved while he was in prison. We've met him. He's a wonderful brother in, in the Lord. And I was telling a friend about him and that he'd come and done an interview with us and, and all this stuff. And, and she looked at me and she just said, you're, you weren't afraid to be around him or anything like that. And, and I just, you know, I, and I, it kind of took me aback cause I didn't, I hadn't thought twice about it. And I just looked at her and I was like, well, you're a serial adulterer. I mean, like, I mean, I just, I did like, she, you know, she has these issues and I'm like, I don't love him any less than I love you. And, and that's not to, so when you're talking about this and you're saying their sin isn't any different and they have to respond to scripture just the same, right. whatever their inordinate desire is, the flip side of that is that you and I as as believers have to respond to people and right. love them as That's sinners right. just the same whatever it is you know and, and I was just like I, I love him I love you I love you know and, right. and it doesn't matter what your sin is we're called to be lovers of sinners That's right. and so w- as we're approaching this topic it's important for us to remember that on both sides of this conversation, um, there has to be a understanding of where everybody stands mm-hmm. in the word. That's right. So what do you say to gay Christians who say, but this is who I am, this is just my identity, and that key word being identity? Yes. Well, I say that I have patients who are angry men, and they say to me, Dr. Jackson, this is just who I am. I can't help myself. My daddy was this way. My granddaddy was this way. I have patients who come to me, and they're alcoholics. And they say, Dr. Jackson, I just can't help myself. This is just who I am. My daddy was an alcoholic. My granddaddy before him was an alcoholic. I look at them, and I say to them that if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away, but all things become new. You see, they don't understand the power of the gospel. They don't understand the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to completely transform a person's life, to completely make them new, to change their desires, to transform their heart from the inside out. And you see, Hannah, I have patients who were previously angry men, who are now peaceable men, who who produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in their life. I have patients who were raging alcoholics who now have absolutely no desire to drink alcohol. My brother was a drug addict for 12 years using cocaine and LSD and marijuana. And it's been over 25 years since he had any desire for any of that. But it was the day that he was born again into the kingdom of God that all of that desire disappeared in his life. And he's been a new creation. The old things passed away and behold, everything became new in his life. And it's not just a few people that I know that are like that. It's lots and lots and lots of people that I can point to and share their story with you. Now, look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say that such were, past tense, such were some of you, but you were washed, 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. That is a powerful verse, Two, several verses there. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in the Corinthian church, that some of you guys were serial adulterers and fornicators and swindlers and liars, effeminate and homosexuals. But they were all changed by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And they were no longer in those categories. Now, he was not just singling out homosexuals. Mm -hmm. He listed a long list of various sinful lifestyles. And he said that God completely transformed all of the people in those various categories, including homosexuals. And so it's not fair for people to say, this is just who I am. This is my identity. I can't help myself. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And people who are homosexuals believe the lie. It is a false premise that your identity is defined by your sexual desires and your romantic attractions. And God is somehow obligated to affirm that identity. We see that all through our culture today. People are saying that their identity is defined by their skin color or by their vocation or by their family lineage or by their sexual identity or by their romantic attractions. All of that is a lie. When people become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, their identity is now wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit gives them the power to walk in righteousness, to put to death the old man, to put to death the flesh, and to choose to walk in obedience. The homosexual community is correct, however, when they become offended when they are singled out, when others are not called out. And I'm talking about the folks in the church who cohabit rather than being married. I'm talking about the serial adulterers in the church who are not called out. The men in the church who are addicted to pornography who are not called out. There are pastors in the pulpits who are not willing to call out their church members who are involved in serial adultery, pornography, or no-fault divorce. I'm telling you that no-fault divorce has done more harm to marriage in the church than homosexuality ever has. Mm -hmm. And our pastors and our church people are unwilling to call these sins out, but yet they're strident in their, what's the word I'm looking for, their well, in their speech against homosexuality. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. You don't understand mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'm, I'm just concerned that, that the homosexual community is fair and correct when they feel offended that the church singles them out, when they're not calling out folks in the church who are involved in these other sins. Paul did not single out the homosexuals. He called out the serial adulterers, the fornicators, the swindlers, the liars, the whole kit and caboodle of them. But he said that all of them, past tense, 
were completely transformed by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I think this is one of the reasons that you see so many millennials that get offended that the church would you know, not embrace homosexual Christians or, or those who call themselves homosexual Christians or just even homosexuality, period, because they were they were raised in churches, a lot of them, who they they knew this kind of stuff was going on. They knew so and so was cheating on his wife or they no, knew so and so, you know, right. they they worked in, in the in the children's department with so and so who got pregnant before she got married and nobody ever did anything in the church and they continued to let her serve in in the children's department and, and lead the children's department and you know, they saw all of that. So they grew up around sexual perversions and mm-hmm. that was called what they are and or sexual deviancy and they saw the church not do anything and then all of a sudden the church is going to respond to this one. You know, I've been really refreshed. Our church recently, um, we we did have to deal with an adultery in our church and divorce situation. And it was so heartbreaking in our church. But I was so thankful for our pastors who led our church through that process. They threw a, they, they um, took us all through the Matthew 18 process of church discipline and and we went we enacted that and we all did that and they put their you know for for all of us to see the entire church had to look at that and say no this party was in the wrong this party was in the right this one was you know unrepentant did not want to be reconciled and left the other party and when you do that it seems very harsh to the outside world but when our church does that it means that they can in good conscience conscience address homosexuality, transgender, Mm -hmm. all of these other Mm -hmm. issues because they're not singling anyone's sin out and they're willing to. And so that puts us in a position as a church to be able with integrity to address all of these sin issues, whatever sin issue is to come up. And, And pastors and churches, this is going to become more and more prevalent and you're going to have to address it. And if you don't put yourself in a position Mm -hmm. where you can address sexual perversions or infidelities or whatever it may be in your church now, you won't put, you won't be in a position where you can address it later without driving away large droves of your, of your congregation. Well, it's a double standard and it's hypocrisy. And people can't stand hypocrisy. They don't. And they'll leave your church in droves if you're hypocritical. If you sing out, single out one sin to the neglect of others, your church people will see the the double standard and they will leave you in a skinny minute. Well, what's the bottom line in the whole debate? Well, let me let me just read a passage to you um, from Michael Brown's book. He, he says that if we start our thinking with the contemporary American value system that begins with this idea, it's all about me, which means that Right and wrong is largely determined by how I feel about things. Well, then we weave the gospel into this, which is one reason we're in such spiritual error and deception today, not just in the area of gay Christianity, but in so many other ways as well. And then he quotes A.W. Tozer uh, in a classic article that Tozer wrote many years ago entitled The Old Cross and the New. Tozer wrote this, The old cross would have no truck with the world. For Adam's proud flesh, it meant the end of the journey. In contrast, he noted with profound insight, the new cross does not slay the sinner, it redirects him. And you see, that's what we're seeing in our world today. 
We could take this one step further and say the new cross does not slay the sinner, it empowers him. And you see, the preaching that we see in many churches today empowers sinners, especially chronic heterosexual adulterers and homosexuals. The contemporary gospel proclaims Jesus came to make you into a bigger and better you. Jesus came to help you fulfill your dreams and your destiny. Put another way, the gospel is all about you. So when it comes to homosexuality, if we start with the premise of this is who I am and Jesus died to affirm who I am, then we'll end, we will end up denying the real gospel message and the consistent and clear testimony of Scripture. So you see how confused and wrong-headed this whole approach really is? And, and I want our listeners to understand that I've, I've had multiple folks in my life who were homosexuals, and these are personal friends of mine. I have a, a, a lady friend who is a lesbian for over 20 years, but she became a believer. And she put away all of her lesbian leanings. She's now married, has an adult son. And in fact, she asked her husband asked me to participate in his, um, I call it a, a bar mitzvah. And, and he, he was uh, a, a prayer service that we had before he went off to college, a dedication service. I had another uh, patient who was a, a homosexual. And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And within just a few weeks' time, he, he left his, his male sexual partner. He joined his grandmother's church. He began to sing in the choir. And the Lord completely transformed his life. It was amazing transformation. And, and, it's, and it's not just the homosexuals, but I had a man who was, who was married five times. And he was living with another woman who I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord in my medical practice. And shortly thereafter, he asked the woman that he was living with to leave, and he put her on an airplane, sent her back to her home in another state. His life was radically transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's just an amazing thing what God does in our lives. So let me kind of wrap it up by answering that question, can you be gay and homosexual, which is the, the question that Michael Brown answers in his book. And here's, here's how he answers it. We return to the basic question of this book, can you be gay and Christian? If by this you mean can you be committed to Jesus and serve Him faithfully while still having homosexual attractions, recognizing those attractions as contrary to God's design, and resisting them as sinful, then the answer is yes, of course. You would join the ranks of some very committed, sensitive, devoted disciples of the past and present. And you would join every other true follower of Jesus in the world, since all of us have aspects of our lives, sometimes to the core of our being, that we recognize as contrary to God's design and reject as sinful. And as we have shared repeatedly throughout the book, being a disciple begins with denying ourselves and taking up the cross. On the other hand, if by being gay and Christian you mean can you be committed to Jesus and serve Him while practicing homosexuality, embracing your homosexual attractions as a gift from God and acting on them, 
thereby affirming your gay identity, then the answer is absolutely not. The Word of God is clearly against it. It is only when the Bible is read through the eyes of same-sex desires or through contemporary understanding of sexuality in the aftermath of the sexual revolution that anyone would come away with the notion that homosexuality was a gift from God or that He approved of men having sex with men or women having sex with women. And it is only when we start with self, how I feel about things, who I perceive myself to be, what I like or don't like, that we effectively turn the gospel on its head as if Jesus is here to do our will rather than us being here to do His will. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said that if any of us would be His followers, we have to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Every one of us as Christian people must take up our cross daily and follow the Lord Jesus Christ whether we have homosexual attractions or any other sinful tendency in our lives. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information on how to contact the Jackson family, to schedule a speaking engagement, or how to obtain Dr. Jackson's books, go to jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions.